but either way wow yeah that's that's cold okay are we live all right, uh, Violet, if you want to send out a note to everybody on Slack, letting them know uh, that uh, the link, they can go to the link and uh, that it is live now if anybody wants to join us. So uh, I thought we would do, I'm going to have to turn this way so I can see Rebecca as well. So um, uh, what, I, what I wanted to do is, uh, yeah, I actually have no sight in my right eye, so most of the people who over on this side, I don't even see you. No, 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 it's, it's all right. It's all right. Yeah, yeah, I can, I can see you. I've just given Rebecca a hard time. And well, that's good. That's good. So what I wanted to do this morning is uh, a couple of things before I actually share with you from the Word of God. Um, I thought, I figured since I'm already prepared, I might as well present the message as well and uh, give us uh, an opportunity to be able to hear what God's Word has to say. And, you know, honestly, as I was thinking about it, I, I was following several friends, and on Facebook, there are services all across the upper Midwest and across much of the U.S. that have actually been closed uh, for today and uh, because of the weather. And I'm, I'm thankful we're, we're actually not in South Dakota or in Montana. Um, a, a pastor friend of ours in, in Montana uh, he actually said it was 31 below zero this morning, and uh, in South Dakota it was 23 below zero. This needs to go down a little bit, and uh, so I'm thankful that it's only about six or seven below zero right now. But it is supposed to we're supposed to see a little bit of sun this afternoon, and then uh, depending on which weather report you read, it could actually produce a little more snow uh, starting this evening around eight o'clock. So you may not be going anywhere. Um, but if he does, uh, Jeremy's going to, uh, going to be traveling to Alabama. So, uh, he'll be gone for two, three weeks, I think you said. Uh, so I uh, pray for him with his job in the military that, uh, he'll have safety down there. And, uh, and then again, it's good to have Alec. Alec, this is his first time here, uh, this morning. And, uh, we were sitting there trying to figure out what we were going to do or what time we were going to start. And there was a knock or we saw somebody go by and I thought, What's somebody doing in our driveway? How'd they get in our driveway, especially that side? And uh, so he's just walking around, trying all the doors, trying to get in. He was desperate to get in here. And uh, But seriously, he's uh, going to stay with us for lunch as well. And uh, so we're thankful to have been able to meet him. And uh, as he shared with us, he only came to faith about a year ago, a little over a year ago. And uh, so his sister lives in Washington. And she actually went online and found this church for him and told him he got, he's got to come visit of all mornings to show up. And uh, most of our congregation hopefully are on the other side of that camera right there. And um, it did. Yeah, well, I think we had one service, uh, one service where uh, we, we put everything on, on hold. So um, I want you to start. Uh, we're going to have a word of prayer, but I would like you to take your hymnal and uh, turn to number 16, hymn number 16, because I want to read the hymn story 
behind, to me, what is one of the most beautiful hymns uh, that we have available to us. Um, and uh, hymn number 16 is oh, Worship the King. But uh, let's have a word of prayer this morning. Father, as we come before you, we know that there are several who did not want to venture out in the weather and the wind today. And, and it certainly has been cold. And we're thankful for the beauty of the snow. Your word tells us that whether it's sunshine or whether there's snow or harvest time or time of planting, that you're in the seasons and you're the one that allows the seasons to come and to go. And it seems, though, that the older we get, that the seasons come and go even quicker. But we are right where we are at at this time in life and where you want us to be. And so we are thankful for your providence and for your sovereignty. I pray that as we look at the Word of God this morning, that we would each be encouraged through the hymn that we read about the hymn story and go over the words of this hymn and then look at Matthew chapter 5. May you be glorified in each life here today. In Jesus' name, amen. If you do not have this book, this is a great book uh, to be able to have for your devotions. Uh, you can find them on eBay as well. There are, there are a few different selections, but Kenneth Osbeck, I think there were two, uh, that he did, Amazing Grace and Amazing Grace 2, I think. Um, and it's 366 inspiring hymn stories for daily devotion. So you can actually go through it over the entire year. Um, and each one of them gives a uh, the story of a hymn as well as the words for the hymn uh, down the bottom. So this one here is actually for September the 12th, O Worship the King. And um, But I want to go ahead and read this so that you have maybe a better appreciation for this hymn. A Worship the King was written by Robert Grant, who lived from 1779 to 1838. Psalm 47, 6 and 7 says, Sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises to our King, sing praises. For God is the King of all the earth, sing to Him a psalm of praise. The word worship is a, contra is a contraction of an old expression in the English language, worth Skype, and it denotes the giving of reverent praise to an object of superlative worth. True worship, then, is an act by a redeemed man, the creature, toward God, his creator, whereby his will, intellect, and emotions gratefully respond to the revelation of God's person expressed in the redemptive work of Jesus Christ, as the Holy Spirit illuminates the written word to his heart. The author of this text, Robert Grant, described himself and all of us as frail children of dust and feeble as frail, even though he was a member of a distinguished British political family, a member of the Parliament of Scotland, and governor of Bombay, India for a time. Throughout his entire life, Grant was a devoutly evangelical Christian who strongly supported the missionary outreach of his church and endeared himself to the people of India by establishing a medical college in Bombay. Although this is the only hymn by Sir Robert Grant in common usage today, it is considered to be a model for worship. Its descriptive names used in exalting the Almighty are significant. Shield, Defender, Ancient of Days, Maker, Defender, Redeemer, and Friend. Also the vivid imagery, pavilioned in splendor, girded with praise, whose robe is the light, 
whose canopy space, chariots of wrath, and wings of the storm aid us in the worthy praise and adoration of our heavenly King. Listen to these words. O worship the King, and you can read along with me, um, of hymn number 16. O worship the King, all glorious above, and gratefully sing his wonderful love. Our shield and defender, the ancient of days, pavilioned in splendor and girded with praise. O tell of his might, O sing of his grace, whose robe is the light, whose canopy space. His chariots of wrath, the deep thunder clouds form, and dark is his path on the wings of the storm. Thy bountiful care, what tongue can recite? It breathes in the air, it shines in the light. It streams from the hills, it descends to the plain, and sweetly distills in the dew and the rain. Frail children of dust and feeble as frail, in thee do we trust, nor find thee to fail. Thy mercies, how tender, how firm to the end, our maker, defender, redeemer, and friend. Let's worship the King together today. So before we continue uh, with Matthew chapter 5, uh, Matthew chapter 5, and again, if you do not have a Bible, you're welcome to uh, take one of the Bibles there in front of you in the pew and um, take that with you to be able to read throughout the week if you wish to do so. So before we uh, get to Matthew chapter 5, though, um, I, I wanted to give, and sometimes we do this when we don't have a lot of people present, um, and that was to see if any of you might have any kind of a spiritual or a theological question, uh, maybe that you don't have an opportunity to ask um, dur during the normal service, because normally on a Sunday morning, it's not really the time to be able to do that. Um, but I wanted to see maybe if you did have uh, some kind of question that's been lingering on your mind in regards to maybe anything that we have covered uh, over the last few weeks or the last few months. And we'd like to be able to try to answer uh, a couple of those for you this morning. If anybody has a question. Now we can give we can give you an option as well. You can ask me a question or I'll ask you a question. No questions? Okay. Matthew chapter five then. Matthew chapter 5, and uh, I'm going to ask you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word, and we are going to read verses 1 through 4. Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. May the Lord add his richest blessing to the reading of his word this morning. And thank you, you may be seated. This is the second of the Beatitudes. And of course, if you remember, for those of you who are here, when we looked at the little bit of history uh, for this, this is actually the first recorded sermon of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in this sermon, it actually goes through uh, from Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7, and it is actually the longest of all of the sermons that are given, with the second also being found in Matthew 
and that's called the Olivet Discourse, Matthew chapter 24 and 25. And it is in Matthew chapter 24 and 25 that we actually find um, a little bit of background in regards to what I believe and what I see from Scripture is what will happen in the end times. And it is a sad commentary, though, that he does say in Matthew chapter 25 that there will be many in that day who say, Lord, Lord, have we not done all of these things in your name? And he's going to reply, I never knew you. What a sad situation, because I believe that there will be people from churches. There may be church members. I believe there may even be those who have been deacons or pastors or missionaries who have never actually placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus Christ is actually going to have to condemn them to eternal punishment because the Bible says in Matthew chapter 7, which is actually part of the Sermon on the Mount, we find Jesus saying that broad is the way which leads to destruction. And there are many who are on that path. In fact, every one of us are born on that path to destruction. There's nothing that we have to do to get on it. But what we do have to do as the scripture says, come unto me, all ye who are weary and heavy hearted, and I will give you rest. And that is found in Jesus Christ. And that is the narrow way. And the narrow way is, is as we look at the cross, for example, on, on this here, we have solus Christus, which is simply Latin for Christ alone. And when we look at the cross, we find that as we walk up to the cross, Jesus Christ takes our burden away and he takes it away individually. And he brings us to the point where he gives us a new life and he redeems us from the inside out. He doesn't, he doesn't take and polish up the exterior. Now, I know having been in ministry long enough and my dad has been in ministry for, for a number of years, uh, there are a lot of people that come and they say, well, you know, I, I don't want to place my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ because of whatever. I mean, there's all kinds of crazy reasons why people maybe don't come to faith in Christ. And there are some who have said, for example, we heard this in England, just as we do here. There are people who say, well, I'm a Christian because I'm an American. Or there are some who say, I'm a Christian because I was born in England, a Western nation, a Christian nation. And the reality is that there is no such thing as a Christian nation. There is a nation that has Christians who live within that nation but a nation cannot individually come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is an individual, a personal relationship that you and I have with Jesus Christ. And so when Jesus is speaking here in the Sermon on the Mount, he is not giving a, 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 a litany, if you will, of, of bad things. If you do the bad things, you're going to be condemned. Or if you do the good things, then, then you'll live forever. That's not what this is about. He is speaking to those who are true believers. He's not speaking to an unbeliever here in this passage. While there are some who, as, as, as if you remember some of the slides or the pictures that we showed you, this would have been a beautiful uh, rolling the hills of, of northern Israel. And, and Jesus would have sat there on probably a, a sat on top of a rock as he's sitting on top of this mountain that is right outside the village of Chorazin. And as he is sitting there and he, as he is sharing these truths, most of the people would not have been believers. Maybe they were there because of what they thought this rabbi might give them. Maybe they were there because they thought that this new rabbi might actually free them from the clutches of the Roman Empire. There's a time later on we find in the scriptures where, where Jesus actually has the people sit down and they're gathered by fifties and hundreds and and there's a group of at least 5,000 men. And do you remember what he did there? 
what did he do in that group? He fed the 5,000, right? And we find that Jesus had a few loaves and a few small fish, and he feeds all of these people by the miracle uh, that it was within him. And we then find that he does it again later with a group of 4,000. But we're also told that there comes a point where instead of following the Lord Jesus Christ for who he was, Jesus says, you're actually following me because I'm going to give you bread. I'm going to give you fish to eat instead of following me for the spiritual food and the spiritual blessings. And, you know, there are a lot of people, I've been this way in my own life, that there are people who come uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ or they come to church or, 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 or they, they follow the Bible or they try to read the Bible because of what they think they can get out of it. Now, the reality is this. When God closes our eyes and we take our final breath here in this life, and we go to stand before him, he is going to be either our judge for those who are unbelievers, or he's going to be our savior. There's no two other, there's no other groups of people in the world. Either you stand before him and you will be condemned, or you will stand before him and you will be redeemed. And the difference between the two is that at some point, the Lord Jesus Christ comes through his Holy Spirit, and he has given you and he has illuminated your heart. And as you hear the message of the gospel, and the gospel is simply this. Paul gives this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He says the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It really is that simple. That's, that's all there is to the gospel. It's not about making somebody a Baptist or a Methodist or Presbyterian or, or anything else. It's a matter of seeing people come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at these signs that we've got around here. This didn't start in the Reformation. The, the Reformation period in 1517 started, and this was simply a reiteration of what these truths actually are. And there are groups of people who have held to these down through the centuries, right from the beginning of the church with the apostles and the Lord Jesus Christ. You have sola fide. This simply means by faith alone. We, we say, for example, Ephesians chapter 2, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is in Christ alone, not of your own works, not of anything that you can possibly do. You can't be baptized to get into heaven. You can't take communion to get into heaven. You can't do good works to get into heaven. You have to simply be willing to say, Lord, I give you my all. And he brings you to the point where you recognize not only that you're a sinner, but that he is a great savior. So let's look at the next one. By faith alone, by the way, this one simply means that our faith is in nothing other than what Jesus Christ has already accomplished. It, it, it would be a, a, a very human, earthly illustration, if you will, if, if you invited me to come over to your home and, and I came in and you say, well, please have a seat. And I take a look and I lift the chair up and, and I say, well, do you have a hammer and nails so that I can drive a few more nails into this chair just to make sure that it'll hold my weight? Would that offend you if I did that? Most people it would. And that's no different than the, what the Lord Jesus Christ has done. He doesn't want us to come in and to pick up the chair that he offers, the free gift of salvation, and try to drive our own good works into that. And so basically when I come into your home and you say, well, have a seat, I simply have a seat. Why do I have a seat on that chair? I have faith. But, but is my faith actually in the chair or is it in you? It's in the person, right? 
Because I don't think that you would do anything if I came over to your house, Brother Jeremy, and, and, and you had me sit down. You're probably going to give me the best chair. That's what we do when we have people come over to our house. And, and, and if I take a look at that chair and I question it, who am I actually questioning? I'm questioning you. And so if I look at that chair and I say, okay, I trust that Jeremy is not going to have me sit somewhere that's going to hurt me. And so I simply sit down and I lift my legs and I allow that chair to support my weight. This is what faith is. Faith is, is simply trusting in what Jesus Christ has done plus nothing and minus nothing. We then come over here to this side here and we have sola gratia. Sola gratia simply means by grace alone. And grace alone is the gift of God, the unmerited riches that God gives us at Christ's expense. That's the way some people have, have, have written it out. If you take G-R-A-C-E, it stands for God's riches at Christ's expense because Christ was the one that made it possible for us to be able to have eternal life. God the Father from before time began, set his love upon us, and the Lord Jesus Christ came to this earth knowing full well that he would actually be the sacrifice. He would be the lamb. And so by grace, we say, do we get what we deserve? No, we don't get what we deserve. We get grace. We get mercy, unmerited favor. We sung here not too long ago, we sang the song Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Probably most of you know or have heard that song. So then we have, we're going to skip this first or this next one here, but then we have sola scriptura. That simply means that instead of church tr uh, traditions or creeds or, or, or dogmas, that we are simply taking scripture and we are taking what it says at face value, that this is the word of God. It doesn't contain the word of God. It is the word of God. There's a big difference because if this book only contained the word of God, what part do we believe? What part do we get rid of? Well, there are a lot of people and a lot of denominations and a lot of faiths that, that get rid of the parts that they don't like. Some of you maybe some of you are old enough, maybe you remember the Reader's Digest Bible. Anybody ever seen a copy of it? I've seen a copy of the Reader's Digest Bible. And they actually prided themselves that they took out 60-something percent of the Old Testament and 30-something percent of the New Testament and still want to call it the Bible. Well, that's not the Bible. The Bible is God's entire word from Genesis chapter 1 through 66 books. He reveals his plan of redemption for mankind all the way through Revelation chapter 22 where John the Apostle says, even so come quickly, Lord Jesus. What a wonderful truth to know that the Lord Jesus Christ is coming back for all who belong to him. And it doesn't matter where you go. Uh, I know here just about a year ago or so, you went to four different countries or five? Four, four different countries. And it doesn't, uh, what were the four countries again? And in, you did get to go to India. That's right. I couldn't remember. There are a lot of people there. And, you know, there are a lot of, there, one point, I think it just surpassed China as having the largest population in the world, 1.5 billion people. I, I, I just can't imagine 1.5 billion people. If it gets close to a million, I'm not in Wyoming anymore. I'm actually down near Denver or something. But 1.5 billion people. Let me try to give you an idea of how many that is. If you were to line up a billion people 
and marched them in 50 across and marched them all the way around the equator before the first one, the first of those individuals actually got all the way around the world, another generation would have been born and grown. That's how many a billion is. And if you stop and think about all those people, a lot of people might say, well, why, why is it that we in America, you can turn on the TV or the radio or go to a Christian bookstore or, or get on the internet when there are so many people who haven't heard? That's not God's fault. It's our responsibility because that's the command that he has given to the church through the Great Commission. The Great Commission is actually found in five different formats, every one of the Gospels and in the book of Acts. And the Gospel message or the commission is this, go into all the world and preach the Gospel. Go into all the world and tell everybody what Jesus Christ has done. And so when we go and tell them, the Lord graciously, again through his Holy Spirit, reveals himself in fact, Revelation chapter 5 and verse 9 says that there will be people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation who will be gathered around the throne of God. There won't be one tribe that is left untouched. I don't know how that's going to happen, I, except the fact that Jesus has made it very clear that we as a church are going to reach out. We've got sermon audio, and there may be some who are listening right now or who will be listening. And, and, and this last year alone, I think we reached something like 40-something different countries, several of them in Africa, people who are downloading our messages, and they are listening to these. We've had 40, I think 48 states last year is what we touched with the number of messages that are going out. Just here in America, people are hearing the truth of God's Word. And I'm thankful for that. So when Jesus comes and he is, he is speaking here in the Sermon on the Mount, we have again this, this second beatitude. The first one, of course, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And what we learn there is that those who are poor in spirit are those who recognize that they are not able to do this on their own. Because the poor in spirit has nothing to do with a person's actual wealth. It has to do with where they stand in Jesus Christ. And this is actually, let's go over here and let's finish these two here. Again, we have sola deo gloria. That simply means to God alone be the glory. When, when we stand before God, each one of us will stand individually. Hebrews says, as it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this comes the judgment. There is a judgment day that is coming. And either our judgment that we rightly deserve, we will actually try to have to atone for that for all of eternity, or we'll be able to look at the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Lord Jesus Christ will be able to say to the Father, paid in full. Those are the only two options that we have. And so for us to stand before God, if, if, what, if, what if I could say, well, I, I, I preached and, and I taught and, and I preached for 30 years and my dad's standing beside me up there and he says, well, I preached for 45. Who, who should God let into heaven? Well, it has nothing to do with what you have done for God. It has everything to do with what God does for us. And this is why we look at this and we see to God alone be the glory. Sola Deo Gloria. And then, of course, the one that we have behind us here, and this is solus Christus, in Christ alone. Why would we want to trust in something else? For all of Earth's history, from the very beginning, in, in, in the book of Genesis, you, you had Adam and Eve who were placed in a perfect world, a perfect garden. There's no sin, there's no evil, when nothing. And then what happens? 
In the Garden of Eden, we find Satan coming, and he questions God. He doesn't come right out and tell them, oh, you don't want to worship that God. He puts doubts in their mind, and he says to them this, did God really say that? And, and that's the same question that we have today. Uh, there are a lot of people, as I have shared with many of you know this, that I worked in the cemetery and funeral home industry, and, and, and I handled when I was in as a funeral director, handled something like 1,200 cases just myself. And out of those people, every one of them, they all said the same thing. Their family member died too early. Now, I buried babies that were stillborn, and the oldest person I ever buried was 105 years old. And every one of them, they all say the same thing. Oh, they died too early. But death is coming to every one of us. And the question is, are we ready for that day? Because when we stand before God, I'm not going to have my wife to hide behind or my kids or my grandson or my parents or my grandparents or whatever they did or the church. None of you will be able to stand there on my behalf. I'm going to have to give an account for what I have done with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that really is the question. It was the question that Jesus asked his own disciples. Who do you say that I am? And he said... Peter says, thou art the Christ. You are the one who has the living water. You are the one who has eternal life. To who else, who else can we turn to, Peter said? Because you are the one with the answers. You are the one that provides this. Well, at the very beginning of his ministry, this is what the Lord Jesus Christ is speaking of when he is looking at Matthew chapter 5. And again, the pattern here is not for people to be able to follow these so that they might go to heaven. The pattern here is that as a believer, you should be able to look at these and say, Lord, help my life to reflect Jesus Christ in every one of these so that I might be one of the blessed ones. I want to share with you just briefly some of the things that we looked at again last week before moving on to part two. And in the introduction, I said this, I quote, gave a quote, mourning is the expression of an experience that is the consequence of an event in life involving loss, causing grief, occurring as a result of someone's death, specifically someone who was loved, although loss from death is not exclusively the cause of all experience of grief. Sometimes it could be the loss of a pet or the loss of a loved one or the loss of a job or, or the loss of finances, whatever it may be that's going on in your life. God not only knows, but there is a provision that he has given in his word to be able to understand how we can be blessed by God. Of course, as we shared in our culture, tears and grief can be frowned upon, especially by a man. We find tears are inconvenient and, and often others can sometimes misunderstand why or what has caused us to be upset. Tears can be signed as a, seen as a sign of weakness. In fact, uh, Lord willing, uh, here in a couple of weeks, we're actually going to be looking at the next beatitude, the third beatitude, which is blessed are the meek. It's interesting because uh, Brother Jeremy's not going to be here, so I'll, I'll just tell you, nobody else listen, okay? Um, but if you were actually to go on the internet and type meekness is weakness, it actually produces in less than 0.30 of a second, 
3 million different search results for meekness is weakness. That's amazing to me because we as a nation, we expect man, men to be manly men. You know, if, 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 if I were to ask you, well, who do you see as being a real man? You know, you might get some results from the older crowd of like John Wayne or Clint Eastwood or, you know, somebody like that. But real men are meek men. And the perfect example is the Lord Jesus Christ. He was the perfect man in every single way. And he did not sin. And the difference is, if, if you go back, it's interesting. Sometimes uh, something will pop up on maybe Facebook or some other format, and, and, and you take a look at that, and you find out what the real life is like behind some of the people who appear on screen. Because what they actually live in real life, they're not, they weren't actually the best of people. Many of those movie stars weren't. Some of them were married five or six or seven times. And, and yet we look at them and we think, oh, it must be nice to have all of those millions or that house or that whatever it is. And God says, no, those things aren't important. Listen to what King Solomon said in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. It, it's a passage that many people know uh, because it's the a time to do something passage. A there's a time to laugh. There's a time to cry. And this is what he says in verse 4. There is a time to weep, and there is a time to laugh. There is a time to mourn, and there is a time to dance. Listen to what he says continuing in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, in verses 2 through 4. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It is interesting that in the first message that we looked at, if you remember, we said that the first aspect of this beatitude is learning how to mourn for our own sins. Listen to what Joel chapter 2 says, the prophet in the Old Testament says, Yet even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God? It's interesting that he speaks, and in the Old Testament or in the Bible times, we actually have, uh, you see this particularly through the, throughout the Old Testament, when somebody endures some kind of grief, like Job, for example, when he lo loses, as we mentioned this last week, that he lost all of his animals, he loses all of his wealth, he loses all ten children in one fell swoop, what might have seemed like an accident, a great tragedy. And the Bible says that he actually reaches up and he tears his clothes and he puts sackcloth and at, or he puts sackcloth on his body and he, like a burlap sack would have been what it was and it was 
a garment that would have been made out of this to be able to, 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 to cause the body discomfort and to, to cause it to itch greatly. And then he would take ashes from the fire and he would have put it over his head and many of them actually would take the ashes and they smear it all over their face and over their hands and their arms to be able to indicate that they were suffering great grief. But the Lord Jesus Christ in this passage from this prophet in Joel chapter 2, he says, I don't want you to rend your garments. I don't want you to rip your garments open and, and, and to be able to put sackcloth on and to cover your head with ashes. No, I want your heart to be changed. Th this is the difference with true revival versus fake revival. Now, I'm sure all of us here, if you've been in church for any length of time, there are a lot of churches that have what they call revivals. Anybody here ever been to one? Okay. Now, we have been to many revivals down through the years. The problem is that the Holy Spirit does not conform to man's timetable. You can't put up a sign that says, Revival here, Monday through Friday, 7.30 p.m., and expect that the Holy Spirit's going to come. Normally, the only people you have are a handful, the same people that show up night after night. You get to the end of the week, a special speaker has come, and he's poured out his heart, and then he gets in his car and he drives off into the sunset. That's not real revival. Real revival is when God takes the heart of a man and makes him a godly man. Revival is when God takes a woman and makes a godly woman out of her. When, when God changes that, that which is within the heart of, of the young people and the children, and he changes them to be obedient and, and be willing to, to follow what God wants through the, what they hear from their parents, the respect that is given there from one to another. God, in a true revival, takes what is found in a church and, and, and he, he brings people in that need to hear the truth of God's word, but he also takes the people who are there and he says there are areas in your life and mine that need to change. This is what true revival does. So in the book of Joel, we found that we are to go mourning for our sins. Listen to me, listen to uh, what he says, the Lord Jesus Christ says at the very end of his ministry. In Luke chapter 19, verses 41 to 42, And when he, Jesus, drew near, and he saw the city, he wept over it. Would that you, he says, even you had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Right, let me paint this little picture for you. The Lord Jesus Christ, for three and a half years, has gone throughout all of Judea and Galilee, and even has taken a trip, at least one trip that we're aware of, into Samaria. And so he comes, and he comes back to Jerusalem, and he knows that his time is short, and he's going to be delivered. And as he comes up, and he, he sends his disciples, and they go and they get, a, they get a colt, and they put their garments on him, and he sits on this. Again, a fulfilling of one of the prophecies of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he would come riding into Jerusalem on a colt. The Lord Jesus Christ, when he came here, he actually, we find that he actually fulfills some 400-something prophecies. Jesus Christ alone. Nobody else could do that before. Nobody else has been able to do that since. 
And they say that if you were to actually get one person to be able to fulfill 16 of the prophecies out of those 400, it would be one chance in eight followed by 64 zeros to be able to fulfill that many prophecies. And yet the Lord Jesus Christ fulfilled over 400 of them. So he comes up to Jerusalem. He's riding this colt. He comes riding into the streets of Jerusalem as he would have come probably in through that eastern gate or the golden gate, which at that time was open. And as he comes through that gate, the people are there waiting and they lay down their palm branches. This is why one of the reasons why uh, a lot of churches celebrate Palm Sunday, for example. And, and as they lay down these palm branches and they lay their garments on the ground, they are shouting, Hosanna to the King. Hosanna to the King. And they are worshiping him. And yet, do you know what is sad about that picture is that it's not but just a few days later at the end of that week when those same people who are standing there worshiping him are some of the same ones standing before Pilate saying, crucify this man. You know, what's even worse is the fact that not only are there adults there, but the Bible makes it clear that there are actually children who are watching this event take place. And they say, the people of Israel say, His blood be on us and on our children. What a horrible thought to think that this one who came was willing to lay aside his glory, comes down to this earth and is born of a virgin. And, 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 and as he goes through his life and he, he, he lives a perfect, spotless, sinless life, and now he's come to the end of 33 years and the people still don't want him. They don't want to hear what he has to say. They stop following him. In fact, we're told that he has hundreds of disciples. We're, we're talking that he has had thousands of people following him. And yet when we get to the foot of the cross, there's nobody following him. The only people at the foot of the cross are Roman soldiers who, who were actually spending time casting little like dice to be able to keep his garments because that was one of the things that a Roman soldier could do. Whatever was left that that person possesses in all of their life, they take it to the cross with them. And as they are hanging on the cross, the soldiers would actually then roll these dice in order to be able to get and whoever won gets the earthly remains of the person who is on the cross. And yet the Lord Jesus Christ himself makes it very clear. He said, foxes have holes, and yet the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. In all that the Lord Jesus Christ, this one who created the world, who created all of the universe, who created the heavens, who's created the angelic beings, we find him coming to the cross, and these soldiers are casting lots for the only thing that he has left in this earthly life. And that's a robe a blood-stained robe. There were many that mourned in that day. There were many who wailed. There were many who would beat the breast, as, as the, the actual Hebrew word says, to, to cut out or to rend. In other words, to, to, to rend the garments, to tear them apart. The Greek word we learned was meant to bewail or to lament, to mourn or to grieve. And in this passage, we find the Lord Jesus Christ. We find that he is greatly sorrowful because of the spiritual condition 
of the people. He mourns for them. Lord willing, next week we're going to conclude this message from Matthew chapter 5 and verse 4 on the second beatitude. And I want us to be prepared because it's not just a mourning for our sin, it's a mourning for the sins of others as well. But we're also going to see the comfort and we're going to see the future that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ because one day the Bible says in the book of Revelation that he's going to wipe away all tears from our eyes. We're going to find ourselves in an eternity where there's no more sin. You see, the reason why we weep, the reason why we mourn, the reason why we have grief is because there is sin in the world. We find that death comes, death goes. When you are laying beneath a stone somewhere, if your body is cremated, most people won't be remembered four or five years later, except for close family. Everybody else is forgotten. And maybe you have good memories, maybe you have not so good memories of somebody that you have had to bury or maybe a funeral that you have gone to. But the reason why we grieve and the reason why we have to mourn is because there is sin and sin separates us even from our loved ones. We, we talk about this quite often in, in my family. My brother would have been 50, he would be 52 this year um, at the end of this year. And he passed away 30 years ago, almost 30 years ago, massive heart attack at the age of 22. Had just gotten out of the Air Force, didn't seem to have any health problems, had a virus that attacked his heart, and he was sitting at his desk one day and just fell over, and he was dead before he hit the floor. You know, when we stop and think about it, though, 30 years, that's a long time. There's still a lot of times that I think, you know, it sure would be nice to have my brother on the phone again. It sure would be nice to, to be able to go to the store and to be able to have a good time with him like we used to. But what is 30 years in the light of eternity? 30 years is nothing. It's going to come and it's going to go. And, 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 and in each one of us, and as I've shared with you before, I'm 55 years old. I don't know where some of the years went, but they went like the shuttle on a weaver's loom. They went by quickly. This young lady right over here actually was a, an eyewitness. I don't know if some of you know this, but uh, Sister Rita was an eyewitness at Pearl Harbor. She was actually there when the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor. She was a little kid. You know, and, and most of us, we read history books and we see grainy pictures of what that took place or what took place that day. She's got it in living color in her head. And even so, that was 75 years ago. What is 75 years in the light of eternity? You see, we may mourn now, but the Bible says in Psalm 126, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And that's what I want to encourage you this morning. I, I don't know what will happen in your life or mine this week. I, I expected when I was preparing, I've been working on this series of messages now and just this one message alone this is this will now be my third week just on what one two three four five six seven eight nine ten on ten words and it's not because i don't have anything else or that there's not other passages of scripture to preach from no the point is that there is so much here and for you and i not just to mourn for our own sins but to mourn for the sins of others to know that there are going to be family and friends. There are going to be people, billions of people from around the world 
who don't have the opportunity to hear the truth of Jesus Christ in the gospel. We should mourn for that. Every week, as you know, we have been praying, and we've been praying for every country in the world for the last two years now. Started alphabetically and worked our way down. And Lord willing, this coming Sunday, we're going to look at start with a persecuted church, and our first country is going to be North Korea. It's the most persecuted country in the world. And then we're going to look at the state of Alabama. And as I consider one versus the other, the, I think the biggest difference is you have a state, Alabama, which is in the Bible Belt. And you know, 49%, it is said that 49% of people in Alabama consider themselves evangelical Christians. Do you know how many people actually go to church on average in Alabama on a weekly basis? Less than 5%. But they all want to claim the name of Christ. They all want to say they're Christians. And yet they don't want to live the way that Christ demands from us. They don't want to follow his commands. They, they don't want to love one another. They don't want to find themselves in, in church rejoicing when there are, there are things to rejoice over. The salvation of a soul, somebody being baptized, somebody surrendering their life to and saying, Lord, I'll do whatever it is you want me to do with my life. Just help me to be faithful. Listen to what Amos chapter 5 says. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord, in all the squares there shall be wailing, and in all the streets they shall say, Alas, alas. They shall call the farmers to mourning and to wailing, those who are skilled in lamentations. The scriptures here show us very clearly that we can have a blessed life. You can. I can. It, it, it's, not, it's not just for a select group of people. As long as you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, the blessed life is for you. And this isn't a restriction that is placed, whether they're in India or Sudan or Uganda or, or, or where did you say, Serbia. It doesn't matter where you go. I've, I've been to Africa. My dad has down through the years. He's been to Asia. He's been to Africa, to Libya back when it was still open. Some of you have been in other countries around the world. People still need to hear the Lord. They still need to know the gospel message. They still need to know that those who mourn will be comforted. And the only true comfort that is offered is in the Lord Jesus Christ. For the last 30 years, we have, as I shared with you when my brother passed away, uh, our hope is not like those who have no hope. Our hope is found in Jesus Christ. My brother was a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and I know one day we'll get to see him again. And those who have gone before us, maybe you've had parents or grandparents who have gone before you, and if their faith was in Jesus Christ alone, solus Christus, by faith alone, by grace alone, following the scriptures, to God alone be the glory, we will see them when we go to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. And there will be great comfort in that because he who is the great shepherd will be there to comfort us. One of the things that I, one of the passages that I love is in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And you get right to the end. And he says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. We live in a world that hates God, especially the culture and the, the, the land in which we live. 
again, is not a Christian nation. It's a, it's a nation that one day I believe we will see persecution here. And if we see persecution, we're going to have to be ready for that day. And the goal of every true minister of the gospel is to prepare you and your heart so that when your life, when you go through that, you will be ready to be able to rejoice in the God of your salvation. So this morning, my prayer is that you will be comforted. And no matter what morning you may go through in your life, because we don't know when our time comes, some of us may be in the funeral home this coming week. And if we are, if our faith is in Christ, if I'm the one that's there, I hope that you will get together when it comes time for that memorial service and that you will all be able to say in one accord, our pastor loved Jesus. Our pastor was comforted. Our pastor is with him who loved him, the author and finisher of our faith. And that you too would find yourself there today. Because if not, the Bible says that today is the day of salvation. Amen. Father, I am thankful this morning that we have been able to look at your word once again. And I know that with all of the trouble and the strife and the turmoil, the things that are in the world, I mean, even, even our military troops, and we have some military here this morning, and if we have to go to war with yet another country while they are serving, it's going to have an impact on them, some more than others. And yet, Lord, we know that these things take place because of greedy people, of greedy governments. And instead of being content with the things that we have, as your word tells us that we are to do, people want more. They demand more. And yet the truth is that your word is clear that we can be comforted. And no matter what happens, either in our country, in our state, or in our lives, we may find ourselves one day struggling to find food, struggling to go from day to day without maybe the, the things that we enjoy so much right now, the simple pleasures of life. And if that is the case, that we would be prepared for that day, knowing that you will give us the grace, even dying grace, even grace to struggle and suffer. As we will find out later on in this series, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. So help us look to you and be thankful for the blessings that you provide, the grace, the mercy, the providential hand of a sovereign God who looks down. And we know your word tells us in the book of Psalms that the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. I pray that you would help us to delight in you today. We ask this in your precious name. And all God's people said, Amen. Are we still?